Welcome to the IAH Podcast, where we profile fellows of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Melissa Clay, Communications Specialist. In this episode, Philip Hollingsworth speaks with Mariska Leunison, Associate Professor of Philosophy. In their conversation, Professor Leunison explains her unique perspective on the philosophy of Aristotle, especially his foundational text on biology. She also provides insight on how we can apply Aristotle's work to our 21st century lives. To begin with, can you give us a scope or just a brief introduction to your project that you're working on with your fellowship right now? Yeah, sure. So the current project is a book project on Aristotle, Titus, um, From Natural Character to Moral Virtue, and it's basically what I call sort of the biological underpinnings of his virtue ethics. So Aristotle has a very elaborate theory of what it means to be a good person. You have to have all the virtues. You have to be practically wise. And most people who've worked on the ethics um, have focused on the ethical treatises just on their own. And what I'm looking at is how Aristotle's biological ideas, so views about how you're born, what traits you have at birth, where you're born, um, your gender, whether you're a freeborn Greek or what he calls a natural slave, how that all factors into uh, moral development. And Aristotle has these really weird views that um, women cannot become happy, um, natural slaves don't even possess the deliberative capacity, according to him. And so I'm trying to understand those weird views by mm-hmm. linking that to other weird views he has about their biology. What implications do you think this has on our current view of Aristotle and just Western thought? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, the worry would be that by focusing on sort of the the moral reprehensible parts of Aristotle's views that I would diminish his importance or his picture. But I think those are part of his philosophy as well. So I don't necessarily want to better his picture or tell people, look, you also need to look at Aristotle's sexism and his eugenic accounts or incorporate that in your contemporary ethical theories. But I do want to understand where these views are coming from. And they seem to be fairly deep-grained in Western culture still. And he's... So you just... You wouldn't see it as some kind of unique... It's not coming out of nowhere, correct? Some of these... No, yeah. Right. I mean, he's, it's, his times were clearly... Um, you know, women were kept inside. They were not mm-hmm. very well educated. You know, Aristotle would say, uh, murder is always wrong, but if it pertains to someone who's not Greek, then all of a sudden there would be a different story. So, pe- <laughs> yeah, people had yeah. very different views from now, and it was clearly part of his time. But still, you might think that... A, a person as smart and as empirically oriented as Aristotle, he could have been more critical towards the views that were current. Oh, and I it's see. sort of disappointing to see that he's not. And it's mm-hmm. also, from a historical perspective, maybe interesting to see like what kind of justifications he gives. Like He has the most elaborate theories for things that are clearly empirically false, mm-hmm. but he's still trying to give arguments for them that are in part attempts to be empirical. What drew you to uh, studying Aristotle? It was a little bit by accident. So my background, I started as a classicist, and I was interested in sort of history of ideas. I love the tragedies, Mm -hmm. um, especially Hippolytus, because he's kind of wacky. In which ways? Well, so the, the previous tragedians all had this classical Greek picture of the 
the heroic man and good qualities and still life goes wrong despite you know all your best efforts and Euripides would put you know his main characters are slaves or women he plays with contemporary ideas he he just turns things upside down and I thought that was interesting and then I also majored in philosophy and I was interested in contemporary philosophy of science and more in stuff like explanation and then when I went on to do my PhD I thought well maybe Aristotle will be the right mix of both oh, yeah. interests right and I also it's sort of random but I've always liked animals and so I end up doing Aristotle's biology which <laughs> um, could you I've, tell us a little bit about that text yeah so there there is a I mean most people know Aristotle for his ethical treatises but actually the largest chunk of his works are the biological works mm-hmm. One is called The History of Animals, which is just a big data collection. It's just Aristotle sort of walking around in the natural world, writing up whatever facts he sort of can discover about animals, and also talking to fishermen and people who travel and beekeepers and stuff like that. Just writing down like reproductive habits of animals, migration habits, parts that they have. And then other treatises are trying to explain. So one treatise is called Parts of Animals. And so it's literally that, trying to explain why animals have the parts they have. So there's a funny section on the elephant. Like, why does the elephant have such a long trunk? Why do, you know, all animals... Do they attribute it to certain personality characteristics? Yeah, sometimes. So in this case, it's... um, it's of like a design problem. So nature made this uh-huh. really big fat animal that had to find its food from like um, swamps. Okay. And so if it would go into the water and had a really short nose, then it would drown because it would take so much time to find food that it couldn't take a breath quickly enough. So nature basically gave it a snorkel. Oh. Right. So, <laughs> so it added length to the nose so it had more time to find mm-hmm. food in the water. So it's stuff like that. A lot of the explanations are sort of functional, so it's teleological. He's trying to find a function for why animals have the parts they have. And it's kind of interesting how he goes about doing that. Because in some cases, you can just look at the animal and then see what a part does, and then you can say, well, that's obviously what it's for. But then there are parts like internal organs where that's not possible. And so then he has to come up with other strategies to discover function. So what can we learn from Aristotle in... 2016. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> or there's something left? Well, maybe the biggest lesson is sort of just the amazement and the wonder that you can have about the world. It seems like a lot of people sometimes that I talk to are very jaded. And he just walked around and everything was just amazing and wonderful. And you can see so much. Like he would say, like you can see the divine in the smallest animals. Like don't look down on studying insects or fish or something like that because the divine is there too i think Um, i rediscovered that having children because i'll actually look at uh bugs and things around i'm like okay yeah this is kind of cool i have a very i have a 10 months old and she spends a lot of time with her mouth open just you know yeah looking at things being completely in awe of how they work can you name a book that changed your life oh a book that changed my life well, so one of my, this is a Dutch children's book. So it's by a woman, Thea Beckman. She is no longer alive. And she wrote a trilogy about, the first part was called something like Paradise of the New Earth. It's mm-hmm. sort of, I don't know, it's it's sort of a weird premise, but it talks about how 
there's a third world war and the, um, there's an atomic war and then the earth shifts on its axis. Oh, okay. And so Greenland shifts to a warmer climate and there's a new culture there. And it's ruled by women because they've decided that all the previous wars were caused by men. Okay. And that was not a good idea. So things should be ruled by women. And it's a very different type of society and animals are respected. And it's kind of uh-huh. new agey, I think. But I love those books growing up. And I grew up in a kind of, I know my family was fairly traditional. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad didn't always have a job. But it was never, there was never the suggestion that then my mom could get a job or something because he was the guy. And and so reading something like that where it was all of a sudden like women in power and they could do stuff and they were not, I mean, that was a different picture for me and. Do you think that influences That's, somehow indirectly your your approach to Aristotle and kind of looking <laughs> at some yeah. of these things that people want to forget about? Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think it mostly helped for me just to see that the picture that was sort of there for me where I was growing up was not necessarily the path I had to take, that there were other options. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, when I study Aristotle, it's important not to forget that he has all these other views as well. What's uh, what's maybe one of his best qualities, in your opinion? Cause oh, we, we, we've been criticizing him yeah. a little bit. So just <laughs> well, he's so systematical and inventive. And, I mean, he had to invent the science of biology. There, was, there wasn't really anything before him. I mean, people were speculating, but there was nothing like... I mean, that, not as, he didn't really invent, like, an experimental method, but... Yeah, whenever there was a problem, he tried to invent like a certain strategy or a method or how do you deal with these things. And then he basically organized, he invented sciences, organized them, and then laid the foundation for them. So I mm-hmm. think that's, I mean, he just had a mind for everything, it seems. It's kind of what I like, so I don't have to choose. When I do philosophy, I can do epistemology or ethics or Phil Bayer or whatever. I don't have to choose because Aristotle does it all. Well, thank you. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Check back at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at iah_unc. underscore UNC.